Hey, this is Ken Finnan at Capital Advantage Tutoring, and it's my job to get you through the Series 7 exam. So we're going through the whole series. We're trying to get through the whole A to Z, the complete Series 7. So you can use this as a pure supplement to your study materials. You still need questions and stuff, but for the Series 7, I think this should give you a lot of information when I get through the whole project. Just I will call it the Series 7 free project, whatever you want to call it. This time we're talking about munis, municipal bonds. What are muni bonds? We're going to go into the whole thing. What are, first of all, before I even get into the whole thing, what's a municipality? A municipality is a city, state, territory, or possession of the U.S. They might even use the word political subdivision, county, city, school districts, and stuff like that. If you see the word authority or commission other than SEC, then you'd probably be talking about a muni of some sort. We're going to get into all that. These are not, remember, these are not federal bonds. These are not U.S. government bonds. These are cities, towns, states, the smaller ones, all right? So let's get going. Okay, so there are two types of bonds, for the most part. We're going to go into deeper ones, but in general, everything, everything is either a GO bond or a revenue bond. GO means stands for general obligation. It means it's secured by the full faith and credit and taxing a power, taxing a power of the issuer. Okay. So basically it's saying that if we issue a bond, if I'm a city of let's say Chatham, I live in Chatham, we issue a bond to do something. We're going to use the money to build a project, whether it's a high school or a library or a free parking thing or a community center or a or a turf field or something like that. We're going to issue bonds to, to pay for that. But where do we get the money from? Because those things are free other than the corruption. No, I'm kidding. Other than nothing, there's no money coming in on those things. They're not generating any revenue at all. So where do they get the money from? From us, the taxpayers. So normally on the local level, geo bonds are backed by the taxing authority of the issuer. And what that means is that we, if it's a city, we're paying sales tax and income tax and other stuff like that. But on the local town level, it's property taxes. So property taxes are like what they call ad valorem taxes. So we'll get into that. So now, since they're going to put up a project, my property taxes will rise. So before they do that, they have to come up with a vote. They have to get a vote and everyone's going to vote yes or no. We had a project that was going to happen in our town, like um, maybe five years ago. It's going to be a nice little community center at $3 million. Everyone's for it. Everyone started adding on to it, ended up ballooning up into this ridiculous $25 million project. So we canceled it. We're like, we're not paying, you know, that was going to raise our taxes by a certain amount. And we're not paying for something when we thought three or $4 million, even if it went to five, we would have been okay with it. But once it went to 25 grassroots thing, just shot it down and it voted down. So these things do get voted down. Sometimes they don't have an unlimited check. We can say, you know what? We don't want you to spend that money. And that's where this comes into. So let's get into the ad valorem tax. So what happens is when you have a property, they're not going to base your taxes on the market value. It's going to be based on the assessed value. So let's get into this. Okay, so here we have, we have a nice house, a half a million dollar house. Now that's the market value. That's what we think we could sell it for. Means nothing, okay? The assessed value, the AV, the assessed value is what matters. Now, the numbers you might see on the test and the vendors would be a lot bigger, but this all works the same. So the assessed value is when they come into your house and they have somebody come in and they 
they count off how many houses every year or every five years or whatever it is, the town comes in and assess your, the value of the house. They look at your property, they look at if you change anything, and they come up with what they think the assessed value is, what they value it at. And that's what they base their taxes on. So we don't look at the market value, do not care about market value. So we're going to cross that out. It's always a there, but it's always going to trick you. So we look at the assessed value. Now, if you look in the books, they do all these 0.0001 shit. Now, let's make it easy, okay? So all you do with it, you take the assessed value, and what we do is we take off the last three zeros. No matter how big it is, just take off the last three zeros. No matter what you do, boom. So now it's 300. Then you just multiply the mill rate. The mill rate, each town has their own mill rate, okay? Each town has their own rate that they charge based on the values. Some towns are higher, some are lower. Like the town next to us at Florham Park has a ton of industry. Jets are in there, ExxonMobil, Merck, a bunch of, so they only rates lower because they get more money from the corporations. They can do a lot of things because they have a lot of money coming in, so they don't have to tax the townspeople as much. So this mill rate is set, like my town I think is higher than this, but I'm going to use this. So if I have a $300,000 assessed value house, I'm going to take up the last three zeros. So if it's $3 million, I take I still take up the last three zeros. Then all I'm going to do is multiply this mill rate, that mill rate, okay, by this, by the 300. And that's going to be how much I pay in taxes each year. So that would be $2,100 in taxes each year. It's that easy. They all try to do the 0.001 and you do this. It makes it so much harder. Just take up the last three zeros, multiply the mill rate. Don't fuck with the mill rate. Just leave it there. Do that times the 300. You get your 2,100. That's what you owe in taxes every year. Okay. The other part of this is sometimes you have to analyze what a geo bond, whether it's worth investing in or not. So we're going to look at the health of the community. We're looking at basically... Are the taxes going up? People's attitude to our tax? Are people moving in? Basically, the financial condition, like do they have money and stuff? And how much money do they have? What is a debt per capita? What the hell is debt per capita? Debt per capita is how much debt we have divided by every single person in the town. That's what we're doing. We're dividing all the debt, all the bonds, divided by the number of people in the town. That's debt per capita. We also have a thing called overlapping debt. So like my town... Chatham has two towns, Chatham Township, Chatham Borough. Back in the 80s, there were separate high schools. They decided, you know what, let's just combine them. So now we have two different towns or political subdivisions feeding into one high school, okay? So what happens is where our money is leaving the town and going into a school district. So that's a, like a basically an overlapping debt. Park systems, libraries, like if you have a county park system or a county library or a bunch of high schools that are kind of in the same like regional high schools, that would be overlapping debt. And then that's where, that's part of what we look at. We're also going to look at the demographics. Are they white collar, blue collar? Are they moving up? Are they moving down? Are people moving in, moving out? Stuff like that. A lot of that gets into that, okay? We also look at how they've handled debt in the past. Have they always made their payments, which pretty much they do? Have they had to raise taxes? Have they made mistakes? Stuff like that. And also a lot of like pensions, like how much pension we have to pay out, what they call unfunded, which means are we low? Unfunded pension, and this goes into retirements too. We have pensions, which is what we owe to all the people who retire. Overfunded means that we have more money coming in than we have to pay out, so we're good. But if we have an underfunded pension, that means we have less money coming in than we owe. So that's a bad thing. We also have what they call the collection ratio. How Of all the assessments, taxes that we do. Remember the ad valorem that we did. Um, of all that, how much do we take in? How much of that How much of that do we actually collect? We ask for it, 
but do we actually get it? And that all that stuff counts in. Okay, so revenue bonds are bonds with a known source of funding coming in, meaning that we're issuing it for a project that's gonna create revenue, like a stadium, a hospital, an airport, a parking garage, subways, buses, bridges, anything that people pay to use. Ah, so let's think about that. GOs are for things that are free to use. Revenues are for things that you pay to use. I like that. Okay. Now, where does the issuer get the money to pay back the interest? Because you buy a bond, you owe interest on it. You're going to get it from the users, the tolls, the fees, the fines, stuff like that. The user fees. Maybe if it's a if it's a um a stadium, maybe it's like the ticket sales, the concessions, stuff like that. People using it, so people pay to use it. The issue, the revenue bond pays that debt service down. Okay, so there's all different ones. We're going to go through them real quick. I don't. You don't need to go know every single one. The basic one is knowing that they generate revenue. Housing bonds, dormitory bonds for colleges. Maybe some sort of utilities, like maybe gas. Maybe you have a town gas line. Like the town next to me, they have their own town electric. They usually do better. Transportation, like, you know, tunnels and bridges and buses and subways, stuff like that. Okay, so let's look at special tax bonds. I know everyone thinks special taxes, they think GOs, but that's not where we're going with this. Special tax is like tobacco, gasoline. If you're staying in hotels, you know there's taxes you pay on top of it. They're for a specific project, like they would use gas tax to pay for a highway. Okay, moral obligation bonds are a little different. They're, they're actually a revenue bond, like for a stadium or something not totally necessary. And um, what they do is that if they're running low on money, they can ask the town to pay. And the town just promises to bring it up during like a budget session. So the committee members or selectmen or congressmen of the state congress or city congress promise to bring it up and vote on it, but they can vote no. The other type that goes along with this is a double barrel bond. A double barrel bond is a bond, same thing for like a revenue kind of thing, like a hospital or something, but it's built into the indenture that they have, they can actually grab tax money if they run low on money. So if you have a hospital bond and they run low, like with the pandemic, the hospitals weren't making a lot of money because of all, they don't, they can't do these, you know, the extra whatever the plastic surgeries, the non-essential surgeries that they make a lot of money on. So they were running low. So they could ask the town to pay. And it's not really asking. They are actually going to get some of the property taxes. It's built in. So this thing has to be voted on. So moral obligation doesn't have to be voted on. Double barrel does have to be voted on by the town people, because if it's being built, they are taking on that obligation that they're going to have to pay the, some of that debt service if the hospital or something is running low on money. We have the COP, the Certificates of Participation. Just know that it's like part of a lease. It doesn't need voter approval. It's not really a lending money. They're actually getting money for leasing out. If they have extra real estate, they would just lease it out and that's where they get their money from. So I like to lump IDBs, industrial development bonds and private activity bonds kind of together. So they're more, it's more to make money. They'll have a they'll have a property that they'll build up or something, and then they'll lease that to and that lease, that company who leases it will be on the indenture. So if we build the bond, a specific structure or facility, and there's a company that's going to lease it from us, like a mall. So we say we live in Garden City, we build the Roosevelt Malt, whatever it is, Roosevelt Mall, not malt. We're not drinking a malt. Um, Roosevelt Mall. And like Simon's Mall Company, they're the ones who do all the malls. 
we'll rent it from the city of Garden City and that will cover the debt service for this. So the thing with private activity and industrial development bonds, you might be subject to what they call AMT. It's their idea. The IRS goes, wait a second, you don't really need this project. It's not a you know public use thing so that we might have to tax you. So certain things happen. If the person has a lot of money, very rich, or the bond is subject to AMT, there's too much corporate involvement. That would come from a qualified legal opinion, right? So I'm jumping, but but a legal opinion is before they issue revenue bonds, they have to do a legal opinion. The legal opinion is done by bond counsel, a lawyer who's looking at whether it's tax-free and whether it's there's any issues like with the lien or the property. So if it comes back as a legal opinion, that might be because of the tax part where they say this might be subject to AMT, where normally if you buy a geo bond or a revenue bond, and you own it, you will not pay taxes on the interest. That's kind of the reason to buy muni bonds. We haven't gotten to that yet. I mean, unless we have, I have no idea. Um, but if it's an AMT bond, they might, if you make a lot of money and it's an AMT bond, they might not let you take the full deduction. So say you take 50 grand in interest from a bond, a geo bond or a revenue bond that you're not subject to AMT, that 50 grand comes off your income and you don't pay taxes on it. But if it's an AMT bond, maybe they'd say, okay, well, you get 50 grand in interest, we're only going to let you deduct 25,000 of it. So you have to pay tax on the other 25. That could be, that's what AMT is. So normally if a bond is subject to AMT, the problem is that the people who you sell muni bonds to are normally rich and the rich people are the ones subject to AMT. So it makes it hard. If it's an AMT bond, we will have to jack. If we issued a bond that was AMT, we would have to jack the coupon up to justify or to offset the money you're paying in taxes. So that costs us more money. So we also have the Build America bonds, the BABs. These are bonds like during 2008, 2009, 2009, I think it was. They didn't do them for long. They should be done by now. But the federal government allowed municipalities to issue bonds that were taxable so they could build other projects and help them out and you know do new things for people. But since they were taxable, that cost them more money. So the federal government would give them up to 35% of the extra coupon that they have to pay. Because remember, we buy muni bonds because they're tax-free interest. You should know this by now from the SIE. But you buy muni bonds because the interest is tax-free, so the coupon can be here. But if I make it taxable, I'm going to have to pay you more to get you to buy this thing. So that extra amount, the government will rebate up to them up to about 35%. Not a number you have to remember. Just know that Build American bonds are taxable bonds, and the government, the federal government, will reimburse them for some of the extra amount of money they have to pay. Again, don't have to do the numbers. Okay, so there's a thing called advanced refunding, pre-refunding, escrow to maturity, escrow to call, whatever it is. They all kind of mean the same thing. Crossover refunding. On this exam, they mean the same thing. Real world bond guys will get mad at you, but this will help you through the exam. So let's say I issue a, we'll say we're Chatham. Just go in there, give my Thompson props. Of course, I did everything in white, so that makes it wonderful, right? So let's make it black so you can read it. So they say Chatham issues, just say it's a small issue. They issue a $10,000, 5% bond, okay? Now, we owe 5% a year on that 10 grand, which is around $500 a year, okay? So then interest rates drop down to 3%, and we want to issue dollars, 3%. They drop to 3%, and I want to issue new bonds at the lower rate to save myself a couple hundred bucks a year, which is pretty normal. But ah, but I forgot. 
these are non-callable. Oh, I'm stuck. I can't do anything about it. Or can I? So what I'm going to do anyway is I'm going to play a little game. I'm going to issue a new bond anyway. I'm going to issue another $10,000 bond at 3% to new people, to not to the same people. It's not going to be the same people at all. I mean, it could be, but all these new people are going to buy $10,000 worth of 3% bonds. So I'm going to do a $300 a year. Now that seems kind of stupid. Why would I add to it? Now, but that also means when I issue the bond, I have $10,000 in my pocket that I didn't have before. Okay. So I'm going to take this $10,000 and put it in an escrow account. And I put this escrow account right here. An escrow account is a legal escrow account because I mumble. An escrow account is a legal account, which means the money put in an escrow account can only be used for a specific purpose. So I'm going to take the 10 grand, this wonderful 10 grand, and boom, put it in the escrow account and buy treasuries that are paying 5%. Now, if we think about it, what are treasuries? What are treasuries paying us every year? If we buy 5% treasuries, we're getting, look at that, 500 a year. So what does that mean? So wait a second. Oh, I get it. I bought $10,000 worth of 5% treasuries, which is paying me 500 a year. And what do I owe the original owners? Ah, 500 a year. So I basically attach it to that. So now as this gets paid, boom, it goes to pay them. So now what happens is I've just defeased the debt. That's another word. I just defeased the debt. The only thing I have to worry about right now is this 3%. This is being paid off by the treasury. So I'm good to go. I don't even have to worry about it. It has to be a AAA rated bond or a treasury. The only way this works, it can't be AA or whatever it is. It has to be high level. AAA or a treasury is the only ones that can do it. Now, as an owner of this bond, would you be happy or pissed? Well, at first you think, wow, I'm kind of pissed. But then you think, wait a second. I am now guaranteed to be freaking paid because when I was with Chatham, there was some credit risk with the, with the federal government backing my bond. I don't care. I'm all good. I know I'm getting the money. So the thing is, that's great. But then the price of the bond will go up because the credit rating on that bond, say I'm double A rated, say Chatham is double A rated, then all of a sudden it's good. this bond, this specific bond is now going to be triple A rated, which is the highest rating, but it's just guaranteed by the bond. So everyone's happy. I only have to pay 300 a year and you're going to get your 500 a year still from the treasuries. The only reason this works is from unis. It doesn't really work for corporates. Because corporates will always, always, always have a coupon that is higher than treasuries because there's more risk and they're taxable. The reason munis might have a coupon that's lower than the treasuries because they don't pay taxes. After tax, the treasury will be lower because there's less risk. But because there's no taxes coming out of the muni, they can have a lower coupon than that. And the munis don't pay taxes on the interest coming out of the treasury. So that's all good for them. One thing that you think, oh, wait, why don't I just do this? Why don't I just cut out this part of it and just buy issue 3% bonds to buy 5% treasuries and just make some money? You can't do that. As much as I'd make 2% on free money, I can't do it because that's called treasury arbitrage and that's illegal. The only time that they can issue these bonds is if they do this, if they use it to pre-refund, defeasing the debt, advance refund, escrow to maturity. Now, one caveat to this is a thing called escrow to call. So maybe it's not that it's not callable, but not callable yet. I can do the same thing, but tier it to pay off until the bond is called. Okay, keep in mind that it's also a very safe bond. It's the safest of all the revenue bonds 
because it's backed by the government. Love it. Okay, you might see the word parity bond somewhere. So there's two types of bonds. There's bonds where they're backed by certain sort of revenues. And then when we issue more bonds, they become behind the first one. So we issue an A-level bond, say, and it's based on the revenues of the town. If we issue more bonds after that, then those bonds come after the A bond. So all the revenues comes in, they pay the A first, then the B, then the C, then the D, in that order. Because that's so this, because A came first. There are other types of bonds called parity bonds, where even if I issued A first, the B bonds come in and they have the same claim to the revenues as the original ones. I would not be happy to have a bond like that because if I bought this bond based on a certain level of risk that I ascertain because of debt, and then all of a sudden a new bond came in and had the same claim on revenues that I do, I'd be mad. But it is what it is. Now, we talked about this before. Before you issue a revenue bond, you have to do two things, at least. One is legal opinion. What is a legal opinion? We brought it up. It's when the bond counsel lawyer looks at the legality and the tax status of the issue. They look at, is it tax-free and is it legal to issue? And if they come back and say, yes, it's tax-free and there's no problems with the property, any of the legal stuff and all the signatures of the authorities are good, then it's an unqualified opinion. Remember, we want unqualified opinion. Unqualified is a good thing. Unqualified means there's no issues. Qualified means, hey, I like it, but there's some issues we have to discuss, so there's qualifications. That's the legal opinion. The next one is we're going to do a feasibility study. The feasibility study, we're looking at will the fucking thing make money, okay? Will it cover the debt service? Ah, oh, a new term. So feasibility study is evaluating it like it's a business to determine will it bring in enough revenue to cover the debt service? Like in New York City, if you go there, there's a Second Avenue line. When they first did it, they wanted to go all the way down Second Avenue from like the 80s down to like Canal Street. But they realized through the feasibility, oh God, I'm speaking, the feasibility study that if they did that, no one would ride it because why would they? So they actually had a curve go down and then curve into Midtown through Times Square and then back down Second Avenue. And that made it more attractive. And the feasibility study said, hey, you do that, people ride it. Now it's a beautiful line, it's built. They're going to add to it. But right now that curve into Times Square, Midtown, made people want to ride it and go from the upper east side down to Midtown worked out. Now, you're going to see the term debt coverage, okay? So debt service, first of all, is the in, the annual interest and principal payments that we have to make every year as, a, as an issuer, okay? So every year, the issuers have to make certain uh, payments every year called interest and principal. That's called debt service, okay? So debt service is um, how much we pay. Debt service coverage ratio is are we bringing in enough money? Are we bringing in enough revenue to cover the debt service? You don't have to do the math. You just have to know that. Now, sometimes they look at two different things. There's a gross revenue and then their net. Gross revenue means that they're paying the debt service, principal interest, immediately out of the money that comes in. So you see the little guy, the girl, picking up all the tolls and the fees and all that, putting it in the bank, and then they pay the, the interest and principal first. Then they pay option maintenance. That's gross. Net revenue is they pay the debt service after they pay option maintenance. So they get the money, they pay the option maintenance, then they pay the debt, then they pay the debt service. That's net. Okay. Gross, you pay the debt service first. Net, you pay it after. Okay. So in the trust indenture of a muni bond, okay, you will have certain promises or covenants. Okay. 
So I try to remember them as, let's do it this way. Um, the, the way the trust, the covenants are in the trust indenture. And that'll list what the issuer has to do. So C for covenant, just how I remember, crime, it's an acronym, crime. C for covenants, R is the rate covenant. Okay, so the rate covenant is basically, we're going to promise to charge a high enough rate. I know it's off, but you'll deal. Um, it's charge a high enough rate to cover the debt service. So people coming through, they pay tolls, fees, rents. We want to make sure that it's high enough to cover the debt service. I, insurance. We want to make sure we have insurance. Insurance. I hope I spell it right. Insurance on the project. So if it fails, then they can pay. So all the bondholders, think about this. So if I had a bridge and it was, you know, I had all the bonds, people paying bonds, they bought the bonds and they're going to pay interest every six months and the bond and the bridge falls. The bridge falls apart. Now, nobody's getting any tolls. Nobody's getting money. But the issue, the investors are going, fuck you, pay me. They want the money. So the, they'll have a, what they call an insurance project. Well, they'll do a catastrophe call. They will call all the bonds and the insurance company come in and just pay off everyone. Even a non-callable bond will have a catastrophe call in case the bridge falls or building falls and there's no way to break any, bring any more revenue in. They're going to issue that. And that, that insurance will do a call, knock up, pay off all the bonds, pay everyone back, and then they're good. So then we also have a maintenance covenant. The maintenance covenant basically saying, we're going to take care of the project, mow the lawn, make sure the nuts are tight, clean it, make sure everything's you know fair and working and not going to fall apart. That's what we're going to promise. So the engineering covenant is saying the thing can be built. We can do that. Best example is a long time ago, people in Staten Island and Brooklyn had to take a ferry all the time and they said, let's build a bridge. So they were going to build a bridge and then the, the engineer came and said, listen, the ground's too soft. It won't hold a bridge. So what do we do? So they made a suspension bridge. So if you ever take the Varazano Narrows Bridge between Staten Island and Brooklyn, you will see that um, there, this bridge is actually, you won't see that it's on the ground, but it's laying on the ground. It's not bolted in. I mean, it is, but it's not laying on it. They have these massive cables holding the bridge up. It's a suspension bridge. So they hadn't made one that big ever at the time. So the engineers came in, gave a study. They told we liked it. They said it worked. And boom. And then they said, we can do it. You need to see that. Look, if they're going to do a new project, you want to see that they can actually build this. If they can't, then why the fuck would you buy the bond? The bonds where we can, a covenant where they can issue additional bonds, but they will either do it like we talked about before with the parity bonds. There's open end and closed end. Open end means I issue a bond now. We can keep issuing new bonds that have an equal claim on the revenues, which I would not want. A closed end bond would have a, I must say closed end bond fund. So close-end bond is where we issue the bonds now. Any new bonds we issue, which we're allowed to, have to come behind our original one in claims. I prefer that one. The open-end, I don't want them to have. Um, we didn't want them to have it on the same level. We want ones behind. We're also going to talk about flow of funds. What's flow of funds? It's where the money goes. Okay, so we have a revenue bond. The money comes in. They don't have free GOs because there's no money coming in, hopefully. Revenue bonds have money coming in. So what you need to know, and we did talk about it before, they want to know where the money goes first. That's what this test is going to be about. Where does the money go first? So if it's a gross pledge, it pays. So the money goes into the revenue fund first. That's like the bank account. And then does it pay operations and maintenance or debt service first? So if it's gross, it pays the debt service first, then the operations and maintenance, which is like the rents, the paying for the trucks and the gas and the salaries. Or is it a net revenue pledge where it pays the operations and maintenance first? and then the debt service. Okay, so let's talk about it. Let's compare these a little bit. Okay, so the geo bond, 
you need voter approval. You need a voter approval first, okay? Now, revenue bonds, you don't, because in reality, approval A, I try to add an E to it. Revenue bonds, because since it's user-based, you don't have to use it. If you don't want to use it, you won't have to pay for anything. So no vote, no vote. Now, where does the GOB get their money from? They get it from the taxes. So the money can only be used in state, okay? In the state, they can't cross state lines or even town lines unless it's a overlapping, right? Or town lines, in town or in state, okay? Revenue bonds, yeah, sure, they can cross state lines. If you come to New York, they have the path, which is a Port Authority Trans Hudson, crosses New York and New Jersey, Metro North, New York and New Jersey. All these things cross state lines, okay? Now, let me go back from, you don't need voter approval, but you would need the feasibility study, okay? You need the feasibility study. I'm not gonna write the whole thing out because I'm not sure how it's spelled and I'm not sure and I don't wanna look it up. Okay, let's try feasibility. Feasibility study, okay? And you need um, legal opinion, okay? But you don't need voter approval. Legal. What is going on, Ken? Can't type. My fingers are frozen. It's freaking winter. Okay. My fingers are frozen. I'm by an outside wall and I'm just, and it's like nine degrees out. Big snowstorm. So, vote approval for geo bond. You pay with taxes in state. This can cross state lines because it's being paid for in with revenues, right? Okay. Now, geo bonds also have debt limits. They're their limit of how much money can be borrowed at any one time. You guys can make fun of me for typing all you want. So, debt limits. And revenues don't have debt limits, no debt limits. But they don't have debt limits, but they do. They have the debt coverage ratio. So if that's too high, if it's not too high, then they can't issue the bond. Geo bonds, voter approval, they use taxes. Revenue bonds do not need voter approval. They use revenues of the project, but they do need a feasibility and a legal opinion. Let's talk about muni notes. Okay, these are short-term issues that basically it's to help finance a project or whatever it is. They're usually issued with a known source of funding. We know how they're going to be paid off. So let's go through them. There's TANs, RANs, BANs, all that stuff. So let's do it on the board. That's why not. Okay, let's talk about these TANs, RANs, BANs, CLNs, and GANs. Okay, I'm not going to write it out. We're just going to talk about them. So TANs and RANs can be used for budget shortfalls. A TAN is that we know we're getting taxes in the future, so we're going to issue a bond now to pay for it. So this is my example. Always, oh, you probably heard me sell this already. How much does it cost to pick up snow in New York City? Well, it costs $2 million per inch. It's a lot of money. You get a two-foot snowfall. That's a lot of money. That's $40 million, $48 million. We may not have it because it happens in January. When do people pay their taxes? In April. So we're going to issue a 10 now, issue the bond now, and we know when people pay their taxes in April, that's going to pay off the TAN. That works. It's a short-term thing, like a bridge loan. A RAN is the same thing, but it's non-tax revenue. Like we need the money for the snow or whatever project or something, an emergency comes up. We're going to issue a RAN knowing that we have revenues from the subways, the tolls, all the buses, all the trains coming in. So we're going to have it paid off by that. It's not a revenue bond. It's just a revenue muni note, a revenue anticipation note. That's TAN and RAN. Oh, TAN, RANs, or TRANS. We can do any of these, okay? Though TANs, RANs, or TRANS, TRAN is a taxes and revenue anticipation note. You mix them. Those can be used to fix budget shortfalls. Only those can be used to visit fix budget shortfalls. 
a ban is, let's say we issue a geo bond, we get it approved. It may take four or five months to get it issued, but we want to start building the high school now. So we'll issue a ban now to, to get the money to start move rolling tractors in and build. And then when the geo bond is actually issued, it'll pay off the ban. All of these are very high credit rating. A CLN is a construction loan note. Maybe it takes us three years to build a building with no money coming in. So we can't really pay interest on it. So we'll issue a construction loan note like for what we need. Like this year, we know the building takes three years. We'll issue a three-year note right now to cover the stuff for the first year. Then next year, we'll issue a two-year note for what we need that year. And then the last one, we'll issue a one-year note to cover that stuff. And then when the building is up, that when we issue a revenue bond, knowing that there's revenues coming in, it'll pay off all the, the three CLNs. Now, again, there's a grant from the government, from the federal government. Again, super safe. Think 9-11. So 9-11, boom, we destroyed. Our city's destroyed, okay? The lower part. We need to build a buck back, but it's really expensive. So the government said to us, we're going to give you $26 billion to fix the city. But it takes six, seven months to get there because they have to get through the budget committee and get through March. So what we did was we issued GANs, grant anticipation. It's $26 billion worth of grant anticipation notes. They probably sold out within 20 minutes. Everyone wanted to buy them. Super patriotic, super safe. And then in March, when the federal government wrote the check to the city, boom, they paid off the GAN. Super safe. Hope that helps. Okay, one thing's a little different. So instead of using the AAA, AA rate, what they use is the MIG system. So there's MIG-1, MIG-2, MIG-3, M-I-G. MIG-1, MIG-2, MIG-3. MIG-1 is the top. MIG-3 is the bottom one. That's still investment grade. SG, Sam George, speculative grade is the is speculative grade. Not a lot of that way, but there's no source of funding. I think Goldman, like 10 years ago, was trying to get the SG off and make sure make them all investment grade, but it is what it is. Okay, so let's talk about different types. So some of our issue is that we have interest rate risk on a lot of these because they're bonds. So they made a couple of different ones called it. Oh, there's an auction rate security. Basically, it's a long-term bond. Has a little short-term thing. So if you want to get out of it, so you buy a short-term bond. And what happens is every either 7, 14, 28, or 35 days, that's when you can sell it. They do an auction where they compare the sellers and the buyers. And basically, the auction back and forth creates the new interest rate, okay, for the next 7, 20, 14, 28, or 35 days. But the problem is, is that if I go to sell my auction ARS and there's not enough buyers at an acceptable rate, then nobody sells their rate. So we're stuck in this for another week, two weeks, three weeks, or a month, whatever it is. So there's a liquidity issue. So auction rate securities, this is what you need to know. You don't have to go through the whole process. If you buy an auction rate security, the interest rate will move every week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, based on what the auction does. But and then you'll for the next two weeks, you'll get a different rate up or down. So it kind of stays relevant to the interest rate. So you don't have a lot of interest rate risk, but you do have a lot of liquidity risk because you technically, let's say not a lot of liquidity risk, but enough because you might not be able to get out of the bond in when you want to because if it fails. Now, granted, it they haven't failed since 2009, but they could. Okay. So that's a risk you have to tell someone. So we have VRDOs, variable rate demand obligations. They're great. They have no interest rate risk. They don't have any really any liquidity risk because here it is. So here's our 5% VRDO. It's issued at 1,000, 5%. It'll have a lower coupon than the other munis. If I issued a VRDO and a regular one, the VRDO would have a lower rate because it's more attractive. 
Okay, but here, let's say at 5%, we wish we had a 5% muni at 1,000. If interest rates in the economy go up to six, it'll go to six. Rates go to seven, it'll go to seven. Rates go to two, it'll go to two. So it's always going to be relevant. It automatically resets. There's no auction that does it. The actual person running it changes it, okay? And here's the other part. So you really don't have interest rate risk because you're staying relevant. The other part is the DO part, or they may even call it a demand note. The demand obligation is what they call an embedded put option. This put option is embedded into the bond. So that means at any point, you can sell the bond at par. Ah, so that means you have, an in, you have no interest rate risk because no matter what happens, you can always sell the bond at par, which means it acts like a short-term bond, right? It's a long-term bond with short-term features. Why? Because you can make it mature anytime you want. You buy the bond and you go, I want out. You can sell it for a thousand no matter what. So it's not volatile at all. There's no interest rate risk. And it's a long-term bond with a short-term feature because since you can sell it at par, that's like making it mature. So let's talk about 529s. Wait, why are we talking about 529s in the municipal bond section? Because it's considered a municipal fund security. It it's, it's, it's subject to MSRB rules. So it is a state-sponsored college or sort of high school, lower level um, retirement plan. It's a savings plan. So it doesn't have any federal contribution limits, but each state has their own contribution limits. So if they ever ask you, how much can you put into a 529? The limit's very high, but sometimes if they say, how much can you put in without being taxed, okay? So if you put, you can put in up to 15 grand per person into a 529. So if I, my, if I wanted to put 15 grand for my son or daughter, my wife could do that, my aunt could do it, my mom could do it, everyone could put 15 grand each and then not be taxed. If you put more than 15 grand, the donor gets taxed, but they do offer a... If you want to preload it and say, listen, 15 grand times five is 75,000. You can write a check for 75 grand. This is only for 529s. Boom, you put 75 grand in and it's, but then you can't contribute without paying taxes for more than for five more years. Now, that doesn't mean it's a limit. That just means how much you can put in without paying taxes. Okay. So you can put as much as you want in up to the state limit, which like New York's like 300 grand or something like that. So this, the limits are kind of not really a thing, but they might ask you that. So just remember, if they say, how much can you put in? It's high. But if they say, how much can you put in without paying taxes? It's 15 grand per year. Okay. Okay. So the 529 plan is a state-sponsored MSRB plan the states decide the contribution limits. They're very high. The money goes in after tax. It grows tax deferred. What that means by goes in after taxes, you, you do not get the deducted off your taxes when you put it in, but it does grow tax deferred. You don't pay taxes as it grows. And if you use it for qualifying education, which is college or a little bit for high school and lower, then the money comes out tax-free, which is awesome. There are no age limits. There aren't income limits. The real downfall of this is that you don't get to choose your investments. It's very limited on what your investments can be. You can choose certain funds at each state decides. There's also a 529 ABLE plan, which is if, if your son or daughter is disabled, if they're disabled by the time they're 26, then they can use this plan. Not a big deal. Not They're not going to go heavy into this. Then there's LGIPs, which I don't think they test, but I have two people thought they saw it, but who knows? An LGIP is basically investment pools that are created for municipalities to invest their money, okay? So if a, if a city or state has extra money, surprise, 
they get to they can put it in LGIP. They're like money market funds, but specifically set up for for municipalities to put their money in. We can't buy them. They're strictly for cities, towns, and states to put extra money in. They're very liquid, very very minimal price volatility. Also, just to make sure we're clear on this, why the fuck do we buy munis? We buy it because it has tax free interest. The interest is tax free, not the capital gains, not the buying and selling them. The interest that you get is tax free. If you buy it in your own state, you don't pay state, local. Hopefully, you don't pay state, local, but you won't pay federal. If you buy it in another state, you won't pay federal, but you might have to pay state, local. So a lot of people like you to buy in your own state or if you buy a U.S. territory, Guam, American Samoa, Puerto Rico, or U.S. Virgin Islands, those four, those four places, those bonds are triple tax-free. Okay, so let's talk about this. So to figure out who the munis want to go for, we should know all of this. So if I buy a corporate bond, it's taxable on federal and state level. We know that. If I buy a government bond, it's only taxed on this federal level, not the state. If I buy a muni bond, it's taxed on the state level, maybe, but not the federal level for sure. And if I buy a territory or possession, it's not taxable at any level. So before we can figure out who munis should be sold to, okay? So before we should figure out who munis should be sold to, we need to understand why. So let's go through the different kind of bonds. A corporate bond, pay tax on federal and state level. Government bonds, always remember this, entities tax themselves. So a government bond, you pay federal, but not state, because they tax themselves. Munis pay state, maybe, unless you're in your own state, but they don't pay federal. And then territories, Guam, Samoa, all that stuff, possessions, you don't pay tax. The interest is not taxable on any level, okay? So we're going to go for rich people. I have a couple links I'll put up here that'll help you go through all that. Comparing a muni bond to a corporate bond, I'll get them up there so you can look at them. Now, so remember, rich people buy munis, poor people buy corporates. Now, that's the whole tax thing. I'll put it up here so you can have it. So accretion or amortization is when the federal government is requiring you to either accrete or amortize, was they want to tax on some of the money. So let's remember this. So if you buy an OID, original issue discount, they require you to accrete. And we have buttons. We have videos on that. So they require you to accrete. So all OIDs, you must accrete. Remember that OID, you must accrete. Now, if you buy a muni bond or a corporate or a treasury in the secondary market and it's a discount, you don't have to accrete. You can wait till you sell it to pay taxes on it. If it's a premium bond, meeting over a thousand, you should know this already, then if it's a um, muni, you must amortize, which means you're reducing the cost basis every year. If it's a corporate or a treasury, you don't have to amortize. So the way to remember this is OIDs must accrete. Boom, they have to, okay? And on the premium side, only munis amortize. Remember those two and everything else is a may. Now, I'll put the video up here so you can do the math on that. Also, if you hold the bond to maturity, there is no capital gain or loss. Remember that. If you hold a bond to maturity, there is no capital gain or loss. If you're going to sell the bond, before maturity, you might pay taxes. If you sell it for more than the accreted or amortized amount, you'll pay taxes on the capital gain. If you sell it for less than the accreted or amortized amount, you will get a capital loss and not have to pay taxes on that. Now, if you buy a bond, any bond, and you wanna sell it, and you end up selling it for a loss, you cannot buy the same bond back within 30 days. That's called a, that's called a wash sale. But if you change enough of the bond, make it a substantially different bond, then you can do what they call a tax swap, where you're changing 
the bond. So if you sell like a New York City 10% 10-year bond for a loss, and then you buy like a New Jersey 10% 9-year bond, that's enough of a different bond that you can buy it the same day and still do the tax swap to realize a loss. You're totally allowed to do that. So that's munis. Uh, next one is treasuries. I hope that helps. If you have any questions, check out the links that I said that I'm going to add on to there. Those are other videos that you can watch. And let's do this. Treasuries are next. And then we're going to get into some more heavy stuff. Thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, share. Let's do this.